You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. I'm Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way, and joining me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Gary Guthrie. How you doing today, man? Doing great, trying to stay cool. Yeah, man, it is hot out west for those of us who have the listeners back east. But then I guess even back east, man, it's super hot. So this is the dog days of summer and we're trying to stay cool out here. But thank you for uh, you know listening to us again. Um, this podcast and many others are brought to you by the Make Liberty Great Again network of podcasts. And also, just as a side note here, like to give a shout out to... The Voluntary Vixens. Voluntary Vixens. Yes. Yeah, I guess they gave us a little shout out too. It's like, hey, so I figured, you know, we're all one big happy family. You listen to the gals over there. They they spit hot fire when it comes to volunteerism, liberty, and their take on it. So, yeah, look those guys up. They're also part of the uh, MLGA network. So, with no further ado, let's get started. So, Amazon in space. Space. Yes. So, yeah. So, uh, so our first story and first topic we want to discuss here is that Amazon is seeking government permission to launch 3,236 broadband satellites that would cover nearly all of the United States and parts of the world. Um, it's doing this via a, uh, I guess, Kepler Systems LLC. Um, if you look at the FCC filing, um, this uh, newly created subsidiary is requesting authority to operate some non Geostationary satellites in orbit uh, using the KA band. For those of you not familiar with the KA band, that is 26 to 40 gigahertz. Pretty standard for that type of satellite. Um, so they're going to basically place them between 56 degrees north and 56 degrees south. Um, this will actually not include Alaska because it, it's because they're going to be kind of closer to the equator. <clears throat> and so uh, the spot beams won't necessarily touch Alaska. Um, but I think this is, you know, just Amazon wanting to further extend its platform into space. I, 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 I find this is important because we have, of course, SpaceX with Starlink. Um, they're hoping to put about 3,000 satellites in orbit. I've read about other companies that are going to be putting, you know, a couple hundred satellites in orbit. Even one company that's going to put, like, supercomputing power um, on some of these very low Earth orbit uh, kind of nanosats. Um, I think more internet global connectivity by more players is a great thing. I think it's a good thing. And I actually think that this is kind of Amazon's strategy to absolutely take over the world. I mean, because we all know Jeff Bezos is like a Bond villain, right? He's a total Bond villain, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you, every time I look at him, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I don't like to bag on people because of their looks, but he's got a creepy look about <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, well, first of all, like, obviously, he went from being kind of this kind of humble, nerdy looking guy to like going straight Lex Luthor. Oh, totally. And then, like, getting, <laughs> and then getting and then getting buffed and stuff. And like, 
you know, like I saw him the other day, like giving a presentation. It's like this dude's jacked. It's like so I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's gotten to the gotten to the gym, shaved his head. You know, maybe had some Botox done. Maybe take some you know stem cell therapy and stuff. And like, I mean, he's the richest man in the world. And like, he dates hot women. And you know, yeah, he got a divorce. He gave his wife like a fat sum of his business, and he's still the richest man in the world. Yeah. Aside, I mean, I guess a part of me actually does admire the man, but, you know, yeah, he is kind of a Bond villain. <laughs> um, but <laughs> back to the story at hand about, you know, Amazon in space, I'm just going to kind of war game some speculation here as what I think um, long term what Amazon wants to do. Um, so, you know, we have IoT and 5G and Amazon's ability to not only deliver internet access to disparate parts of the globe, in this instance, really just the Western Hemisphere, um, but it's growing. It, it, you know, I mean, I'm very impressed with their growing logistical and computational footprint. That'll be a boon for 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 all of mankind, in my opinion. Even though the government probably will attempt to thwart their ability to grow any bigger, but I think. Um, this constellation will serve like dual roles. I think I can see myself in the future being having supplemental internet access via this uh, Amazon space-based network as a prime member, um, you know. Uh, and then uh, I, I also see them ha using this technology to further kind of, you know, curtail, not even, what's the word? The further, like, what's the word? Uh, get better visibility on their logistical network. Oh sure. I mean, just sure, yeah. basically, basically, just they, they basically just want like to they they want North America and particularly North America on lock when it comes to delivering platforms as a service. Um, I mean, we don't know what all these capability what capabilities will be on these low Earth orbit satellites. We right. don't know. Well, that's the interesting thing to me is, you know, the, their, their differentiator between them and SpaceX, really. I mean, SpaceX is just, we're going to do the whole globe, period, 100%. And they're, you know, Amazon's sticking to this one, you know, these latitudes. So, I mean, why, why would you stay there if, you know, the U.S. and, and, and kind of keeping an eye on that is not your goal, right? It is. Right, because a bulk of its logistical footprint, when it comes to its global presence, it's a it's a U.S. company. I mean, they're gonna they're buying their own jets. You're buying their own, you know, cargo planes. Right. They're 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 building more. They're building data centers everywhere. They're building warehouses everywhere. They're building. Um, they have a fleet of like close to twenty thousand like of these delivery trucks. Um, they have you know an Uber kind of service when it called Amazon Flex that kind of is a force multiplier for their distribution centers where like everyday people can go deliver Amazon packages. Right. That's a lot of data being created. That's a lot of opportunity to kind of use these satellites not only to deliver internet access, not only to allow their uh, AWS and EC2 to have much more reliability and extendability i mean we don't know again we don't know what type of payloads they're going to put on these satellites they could put optical stuff on the satellites and, and compete with like google earth but really just keeping an eye on north america i mean there's i think you know you know maybe taking this story to too much of an extreme but like they're building a platform for commerce that has never existed in human history and, and like even to the point where it's going to be bigger than like Walmart, right? Which was the boogeyman ten years ago, right? Right. 
And so, yeah, I, 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 you know, this was that that was like the fascinating portion of the story. This would normally be one thing we would just kind of say, "Hey, Amazon's getting into the space game as well. It's launching satellites, just like Starlink, and you know, fourteen other startups that are doing this." And but no, I think this is much more of a long tail for them. This is them extending their logistical platform, their EC2 platform, and a whole host of other things. Well, if you look at the you look at the history of Amazon and everything that they've done, I mean, everything that they've done has been organic. You know, they haven't been compartmentalizing any of their stuff that they've been bringing to market, right? Everything has been related to everything else. So, yeah, the te- you're right. The temptation's there to say, okay, this is just an in- a global internet play, but you're right. It's it's way more than that. And how it's going to fit in is going to be very interesting. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, I mean, I don't know if we've we've beaten that story to death. But uh, yeah, so let's move on to which, which is a little bit more of a heavier, heavier topic. And it's kind of related to the things we've been discussing for the past couple of weeks about, um, you know, the technophobia that's arising um, the clamoring of both political parties and both political ideologies, both political sides of the spectrum, clamoring for regulation of these internet platforms. But, you know, your Facebooks, your YouTubes, and et cetera. And how I basically, by virtue of like a lot of the things that Facebook and YouTube and, and Instagram and all these in Twitter have been doing over the past couple of years, that they're basically sowing the seeds for the destruction of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And basically, the just to kind of review for the audience members who probably haven't been with us from the beginning, um, there's a section in the Communication Decency Act that basically kind of limits the liability of these platforms to basically be basically be liable for like terrible things that happens on their said platforms, right? So, you know, the posting of an ISIS video or or maybe calls to violence and stuff like that aren't a direct aren't the direct fault of these platforms that host that content um, as long as they kind of take them down. So you can't just because someone then gets radicalized on Facebook and go out and proceed to murder a lot of people, you can't then go back to Facebook and say, hey, you know, this was hosted on your platform and people died as a result. Kind of the same thing is like if me and Gary were to get together over Skype and basically plan like world domination, um, you know, well, we're Skype going, isn't liable. We're, we're going out to Area 51 next week, right? Oh, uh, well, well, actually, it's in September because I wouldn't dare go next week. God, it's hot now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but right. So like for I mean, and all, you know, you know, we're just we, we we're joking about it. But like, yeah, you, can, you know, the U.S. government can't go after Facebook because there's a, a Facebook group for, you know, storming Area 51 in September. Um, so I was reading this interesting piece to kind of brought to light, like, what does platform actually mean? And from a tech standpoint well me and gary understand platform to mean basically it's very simple i can run code and algorithms on your compute that's it yep that's what the platform allows me to do um what it what this article i kind of pointed to in the show notes points out is there's been a slippery slope for the word platform and as that slippery slope has happened and much to you know i mean the uh, the big tech platforms or big tech companies have actually played very fast and loose with this meaning um 
so like I, I was reading an interesting piece in the Atlantic. It came out in June. They gave an excellent history of of what an internet platform was and what it used to be and what it is basically morphed into. And as we morph this platform discussion into the contemporary political, like, you know, standoff that's going on, it doesn't necessarily mean content. It has never really meant content. It just morphed into content. And so, Jimmy, let's kind of read for it so you can see if you kind of, it kind of grok where I'm going here, Gary. So, so this is like, one term in particular, platform, reveals the contours of this discursive work. Basically, uh, this is uh, them basically kind of commenting on this paper that was written by this researcher back in Cornell, back in 2010, at Cornell in 2010. Um, uh, he, I guess he was back at, he was, uh, he was at Microsoft Research before this. The term has been deployed in both their populist appeals and their marketing pitches, sometimes as technical platforms, sometimes as platforms for which to speak, sometimes as platforms of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yet whatever tensions exist in serving, all these constituencies are carefully or uh, are carefully allied. Um, the term also fits their efforts to shape information policy where they seek protection for facilitating user expression, yet seek limited liability for what those users say. As these providers become the curators of public discourse, we must examine the role they, they, they aim to play and the terms by which they hope to be judged. Platform could mean anything to advertisers, another to professional content creators, and yet another to everyday users. And so basically, you read the story in The Atlantic and you read this paper, what you start to gather is um, platform evolved from, for instance, the web. The web is a platform, Web 2.0. If you've ever been a big reader of O'Reilly um, media you know, um, content, particularly Tim O'Reilly, he was he's definitely a very visionary guy when he understands that like the internet was the platform. But he, but I think there was this kind of conflict where they were starting to muddy the waters with with they were starting to muddy the waters with the, with the with the meaning of a platform. And I think for the for the most part Twitter and Facebook and all these companies did actually start off as platforms. Remember far, remember the annoying Farmville updates we used to oh, get, Oh right? god. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, those are the those are the dark days of the internet as well. But you, a lot of the Facebook and Twitter, a lot of these guys started out saying, "Hey, you can compute and process on our compute to build products and services that and that facilitate content and advertising on our platform." But then they started kind of playing real fast and loose with platform. And then as these companies started moving toward going IPO, they started closing off those avenues to build on top of Facebook. And it's kind of one of those things where greed kind of took over. And I think really the, the power to shape the narrative, right? Like just as I read right there, like they want to be facilitators of expression. Yep. And said information policy. And, uh, and I guess that's kind of the, the the thing that scares a lot of people on the right is the fact that like these guys can circumvent the Constitution. 
And on the left, they don't want radicalization against the cause of really hedonism, right? And so, like, both sides are now starting to look at these compute platforms and looking at them as content platforms. And when you move to the realm of curation and editorial, that is what starts to slowly bring into question Section 230 and the protections these companies have sat under. And, that, and, it's, and it's sad commentary because they're doing it to themselves. Because here's where me and Gary kind of get on our it's the culture bandwagon here or, or, or trope. The culture of the Valley has changed substantially in the past decade. Right. Case in point, no one is safe from the woke police. Snitches and informant trolls, even in private messaging groups and forums. So bring up the Verge article. The Verge article, who sits back and basically looks, there was basically a very terrible Facebook group <clears throat> filled with current and ex-members of the Border Patrol. We can't verify that. Who were saying some terrible things about the migrant crisis at the border. They were saying pretty terrible things about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, and being very, very disrespectful to our anointed leaders in this forum. And generally because it was a frustration. Trolls go in, trolls or infiltrators or informants go inside and basically started reporting this stuff out. It gets out to ProPublica. There's outrage all over the place dealing with it. And now... Facebook is going to st will inevitably start to kind of police these hate groups that seem to be hiding in these private chat rooms, right? So in everyone's push to tell Facebook that they need better privacy controls, they need to focus on privacy, the very thing that facilitates the focusing on privacy, be it Messenger, be it Facebook groups, is now being infiltrated by the woke police to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Behind all this privacy is some, is some intolerance and hatred going on on these platforms, and it has to stop. And it's not necessarily just because some of these groups are hateful. It's some of these groups may say things like, I don't know, don't mean to be controversial, don't kill babies in the womb. Feel how you will about that. As hyperbolic the language as I just used, those groups can't hide anymore, right? So in Facebook trying to push to become much more of a private messaging platform, there are still people, these near, I don't know what to call them. I, this, is, this is sort of a family-friendly friendly show, so I'm not going to call them what they are. But these snitches walk in, and they start, you know, jumping all over you and reporting you to uh, mommy, face, mommy Daddy Facebook that there's hate going on somewhere on your platform, and so you must squash it. Right. Story, story two. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument, then, well, we'll just go off and we'll just build our own platform. Well, well, oh, here's the here's the the trope we always hear. Well, if you don't like what goes on on Facebook and Twitter or Instagram or any go, of these social media. Go build your own. Go build your own, right? Yeah. <laughs> Story number two. You can't build distributed platforms. They won't let you. So we I don't know if anyone's familiar with Mastodon. I'm not terribly familiar with Mastodon. But I too remember I've been following following this saga of Gab. Yep. Um, so Gab. So Gab is the uh, social media platform of choice for, uh, in my opinion, free speech, and you know maybe some less than desirable characters that we wouldn't hang with. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's 
a lot of it is it's starting to really fill with a lot of exiles from Facebook and Twitter who maybe say things that are provocative, but at least they have a platform to do so. So I've been kind of, you know, following the saga of Gab. They've tried to build on Microsoft Azure. They've tried to build on other platforms. And, and at every turn, they, they're kind of thwarted, right? Because they're, quote unquote, a hate speech platform. And this is just general mantra that comes from every tech press release that talks about Gab when yep. they even want to talk about Gab. I don't like that. I hate guilt by six degrees of association. Just because you have hate haters on your platform doesn't make you a hate platform. And if you want to really be blunt about it, by sheer number, there are more haters on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube than there are on Gab. Gab is a very nascent social network. It has millions of users, not billions of users like these other ones. So they decided, like, well, the hell with this. We will then use federated social networking uh, architecture um, in the form of Mastodon. I guess Mastodon allows you to create nodes and basically it becomes this kind of federated social network. So if you build your own social network, you can then use this kind of Mastodon platform as a, a I don't know if it's a, I don't, I, I didn't read a whole lot about it. I don't know if it's a protocol or whatever. Yeah, I think I, I, I get the sense it's, it's just kind of a an architecture. I don't know. It's a yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. But it allows you to basically kind of this run a very distributed social network so that you know not or or an, or their implementation of it is to run kind of a distributed social network. Um this has happened before. I think um diaspora was a was an attempt in the early uh days of Facebook hatred um uh, of being a federated social network where you owned your data and stuff like that. I mean, these discussions we're having today about owning your data and privacy and like having a platform outside of Facebook and what have been discussions that have been going on for well over a decade. Um, this is nothing new. So Mastodon, though, the, the children of Mastodon, um, have attempted to start to censor certain uh, and, and encourage people who run Mastodon nodes to stop Gab, right, from joining this federated network. So Gab essentially went and forked the Mastodon, co Mastodon code and created its own federated network. So, again, even when one attempts to build something of their own, there's this social justice culture I don't that um, follows you because you have wrong think or people who are terrible on your platform and that that's really to me the the scariest thing is that the the concept of free speech and the acceptance that okay there's gonna be bad people in the world no matter what you do you either accept free speech and say okay we accept that there's gonna be these bad people out there or you try to suppress them by every means possible which basically is not a fight against these people right it's a fight against free speech period i accept yeah. i accept yeah. that this world's dirty it's dangerous and that there's going to be people like that out there and really the way to and not to get too much off of the technical topic but i i keep saying this you know the way to fight that is not technically it's not via these mechanisms that they're coming up or these you know these bots that identify, you know, bad words in your post. Or hate speech, right? I mean, how does one create a ML model, a machine learning model that can algorithmically 
look for this stuff because this is a changing definition over time. Yeah, and it, right. a lot of in a lot of ways, it's arbitrary too. It's like you know, how does this make this person feel? Oh, okay, well, yeah. you know, made them feel. But you know, if you want to fight that, and you want, you, you can't do it technically. You have to do it socially, and you have to just accept that these people are going to do it and let them do it. I mean, I, I, you back them into a corner. It's like a wild animal, right? What are they going to do? Yeah. I think the very nature of, they worry so much about radicalization on these platforms and the easiest way to radicalize a group of individuals is to try to socially and, 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 and legally repress them. Right. Um, I don't I don't think people this this is where I then put my historian hat on. It's just like, when has that ever worked? It never has worked. And, and, and so like it even it gets even worse. So the, the, the third in my 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 triumphant of like why the the platform mantra has and the platform as everything mantra that I, I'm really trying to point to here is then. Even if you're running your Mastodon nodes, they have to be hosted somewhere. Yep. So if you do manage to build a new platform or virtual space, they will shame you and smear you. Case in point, the Gizmoto story that I actually have in the show notes, where not only did this Gizmoto writer identify these things, these, these, these groups and what Gab is doing and what... You know, the dare and American Renaissance, you know, there's some neo-Nazis on there as well. They're then going to platform providers. That's GoDaddy. That's uh, uh, Azure, Microsoft. That's CloudStrike. That's all these people saying, hey, do you realize you guys have white supremacists on your on your platforms? It's like you, you have white supremacists spewing hate on your platforms. And according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, this group's hateful, and this group's hateful. And it's, and and they're basically either getting these platforms to shut these people down, or in the case of some of them, like, I mean, they went as far as found a, a ISP, not an ISP, but a, a hosting provider in France, and told them, hey, do you know you guys have U.S. hate speech, you know, or hate groups on your platform? And even... God bless one of these companies said, yeah, like, as long as they're not calling incitements to violence, like, we, we, we kind of stand by free speech and, like, we don't, we're not going to remove them from our platform. Wow. Like, we're not going to remove their hosting services. There were very few of these. And there was some disappointment in the uh, Gizmodo uh, authors, you know, you know, you can kind of get it from the tone of the article that not everyone acquiesced to this kind of bullying. Yeah. So the dirty, yeah, the dirty business of hosting hate speech online is the name of the article, and it presupposes to tell Liquid Web and GoDaddy um, and all these other companies that hey, you have you know very terrible people sitting on your side, and you, uh, do you know you have neo Confederates and black nationalists and what a wasted opportunity though. I mean, when you think about it, any if you do have these hosting providers who are you know, pushing back on on this. What a missed opportunity. If it was me, and, and this is just my own loudmouth talking, but what an opportunity that would be to say, yeah, I know they're there. What uh, you want? Let's talk about that. You know. Yeah, 
Absolutely. It, it's it's free, and they have the right to say what they want, even though you don't like it. Just like you have the right to say something I don't like. You know, it, it, are we inciting radicalism by doing that? I don't think I've really seen that happen. <laughs> I mean, the the no, yeah, no, not at all. So what? Okay, now what? <laughs> of course, you do that, and then you become like the villain of oh they're pro no i'm not i'm i'm neutral and you people need to learn that anyway yeah you need yeah you guys you guys need to lighten up or you know you need to find something better to do than to hunt um scour the the four corners of the seedy parts of the internet to find people who and you know insult your sensibilities we don't care right yeah so like so all that all that roundabout discussion and all that roundabout kind of digging deep based off of this one Atlantic article, uh, the platform excuse is dying for those of you who want to look it up, is this. As the totalitarians circle the corpse, <laughs> the corpse that is Section 230, it is important that we see see, see how, um, how we got here and, and why it's a bad idea to apply very liberally the term platform, Right. Because then what it starts becoming is people see people tend to think of platforms or think or forums that they can um, express themselves in, particularly in the early days when it's new and exciting. They, they tend to start to then take ownership of it and they tend to think that it's theirs or that they have a right to be on these platforms. And at the end of the day, I mean, despite my, my hating on the fact that there's a concerted effort from a very left-wing, very kind of social justice-based kind of tech press to try to root out every dirty corner of the internet. Despite all that, these platforms, these companies have the right to do all this stuff. I just think they create a very dangerous precedent because what ends up happening, as everyone is kind of circling around the corpse of Section 230, you won't like the world without Section 230. Oh, no. We know what the world without Section 230 looks like. Yep. It's called the GPDR or whatever the hell that is. Ah, the bane of my existence. (laughs) Yeah, the bane of most web developers' existence, right? Yeah. And particularly when it comes to all these data practices and stuff like that. Now, granted, there's a huge market opportunity. I've seen the deal flow of this, particularly in the data science realm, of protecting data, right? Yeah. But that didn't require government. It shouldn't have required government heavy-handedness, which will inevitably – what it ends up doing – is they think they're going to create this open market for data brokerage, but I think what they don't understand is they're going to create like incumbency by virtue of these regulations. But we right. can have the discussion all day long. So these stories, uh, as well as others, are slowly basically building. They can they're building this case um, for internet regulation and censorship. It started with um, uh, what was it FOSTA, right? Um, because you know we can't have uh, consenting adults. Trafficking, uh, uh, trafficking in flesh on the internet because sometimes, and this is very unfortunate, children or sex slaves might be trafficked. Right. So we should rip the whole thing down. Two, um, we now start to change the meaning of a platform, right? So it becomes free speech when it's really not. You know what? The I, platform in it, in it of itself is really just a layer for compute. You know what I love that you mentioned just a couple minutes ago? You used the word forum. And really, to me, you know, 
that's really kind of a better word to use when you think about a group of people getting together to discuss. It's really a forum of discussion. It's not a platform at all. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, there's. I mean, and I, I think I really I went into this Atlantic article because typically when you go in the Atlantic, you just like, here's the deal. Like people think there's radicalization going on politically, right? Just to get off on a tangent here. Um, no, there's too many bleeding hearts out there that moderate my views because I read things that challenge my misconceptions, but but challenge my preconceived notions every day. And I went into this article thinking, you know, and, and they and it's typical leftist nonsense. But the simple fact of the matter is, like, it, there is a point. Like this, this has been a kind of concerted effort to like turn this platform into turn into people a platform not based on ones and zeros, but based on people. And and what is what is and like what is my um, Gary? What is what has been my 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 mantra when it comes to like when you when technologies have to deal with people? People suck. People suck. People suck. Yep. Um, and when you build your, your your business on using people as a platform or people as the product, man, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. That's 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 if it's a constant changing landscape. There's so it's not just economic. It's social. It's social economic. Right. It's social. It's 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 cultural. It, it, it's, and and I think those are it's cultural. It's it's so it's wet and dirty and it and, and it's human. And and I think you know the the more we try to sterilize it down and make these rules or you know or, or try to tackle things with bits and bites, the more we're denying the humanity of this world. And and we we have to stop. I mean, so from a liberty angle, I mean, what can we do about this? The beautiful thing I find long term, short term, this is going to get ugly, right? Just I think coming, we're going to get government intervention. That's just this. It's just sort of a given. When you have always beware in Washington, D.C., where both sides, when both sides of a political spectrum in political aisle agree on a on a on a on a set point, the vector is what I worry about. And I think the damage is going to be left when we ultimately continue to strip away Section 230. Um, I think you're going to see net neutrality start to root, uh, like uh, rear its ugly head again. You're going to see these data privacy laws that are going to be Byzantine, and then you're going to you're you're, you're going to kill you're going to kill Web 2.0. I think dead. I think it's over now. I think what we I think one should move on to um, Internet of Things. Um, you know, 5G connectivity, quantum computing, um, artificial intelligence, and machine learning when it comes to solving, like, real-world problems. I think dealing with people, uh, I think what these new regulations will end up having the effect of going forward is when we move through the next financial crisis or the next kind of crisis there where there's a downturn, what what comes out of the other end of that will be an economy that is, that will have, that will serve humans well but we'll take a lot of humans out of the equation yep because dealing with human beings is is i'm sorry it's just tough it's filthy um and 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 it can be filthy and somewhat of a pain in the arse um hopefully some crypto anarchists come up with something new i think what these what this censorship thing that's kind of happening on the more of a social cultural level i think we will i think the internet will route around that damage 
and there are already technologies that are going to allow the internet to route around that damage. I think Mastodon, the fact that you could take the Mastodon code base and, and, and you know architecture and just kind of fork it off and do something else with it. I think the fact that like um, you have other blo- you have the blockchain out there that's going to allow kind of the much more distributed nat- a much more distributed nature for platforms. Um, our producer Ryan gave me a kind of tutorial on like uh, the uh, Ethereum virtual machine kind of architecture and how that works and smart contracts and stuff. And I think I think we're moving more and more toward that where you're going to just. But I, I, I fear that free expression, though, is the ultimate casualty of this. And I think we'll, we're going to probably go into a dark age of that for a while unless something changes. And so, yeah, wow. that was heavy. Yep. That was depressing. But one more, one more depressing story before we get to like um, dessert, and that is uh, Facebook bucks. Um, so this week, uh, Facebook, uh, of course, as always, dragged was dragged in front of Capitol Hill when, and asked to um, give more details on its Libra project, Libra initiative. The empire has now stricken back. I think, unfortunately, because uh, Facebook is not the best. Uh, messenger when it comes to, you know, trying to create a cryptocurrency. Uh, everyone hates Facebook um, resoundingly, um, even though it is, I, I take the, I take a contrarian view, even though it is by net net been a benefit to mankind, it has had too many missteps, too many mishaps. The long knives are out for it. And I'm, I'm still very happy that they feel the need to continue to try to innovate even though they're, they're going to be facing a lot of antitrust BS for the next five years. I like the fact that they tr- they're trying this new cryptocurrency initiative. But, I mean, you know, on, on top of the fact that, like, most of the people who were questioning them on Capitol Hill are, were idiots, there were some people who brought up some good points. Even Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez did bring up a very good point. It's like, yeah, it's like you have this consortium of, like, big businesses and stuff like that, that, that are going to be managing this blockchain. Um, you know, you know, how come it's not more open? I mean, Oh my God, she stumbled upon like a point. That's, um, that's shocking to me. <laughs> no, it, it kind of blew me away. I was like, <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of actually agree with her on that. Um, but I think, I think, um, Naomi Brockwell has kind of the best breakdowns of this. I should, I'll put that and I'll put her breakdowns of both days of hearings in the show notes. Very, very good take on it. She's super, you know, easy to listen to on this subject. She definitely breaks it down. Um, you know, g- questions were asked. Um, basically, it was going to be a semi-free market, open kind of thing. But they basically then proceeded to go up to Capitol Hill on bended knee. They're browbeaten by the ignorant in the in in, in the for lack of a better word, partially retarded uh, uh, Congress people into basically slowing down development, which I don't understand what Congress even has to do with this, but, you know, slowing down like the development of this. So Facebook is going to go back to the drawing board essentially on this and make this less of a cryptocurrency, less of a decentralized platform and basically start kind of instituting all these stupid things that they always want to institute. Like, oh, what anti-money laundering things are you going to... And this could be used for drugs. And and, 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 I, 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 and you you hear that and you just grit your teeth and you just want to, like, turn over your desk. Well, yeah. Well, it goes back to what we were just talking about. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. It could be. Anything could be. Cash is used for drugs, for crying out loud. I mean, come on. <laughs> 
I mean, for the love of God, they're just... You can use anything as a medium of exchange. They just they just found a tanker two weeks ago with one point one billion dollars worth of coke on it. I mean, that's a medium of exchange, medium of exchange. How do you think that money moves around globally? A lot of that money moves around globally in paper form, right? And so, like, so cryptocurrency is just. And and I'm not the I'm not one of these Facebook haters that absolutely positively didn't trust their motives for creating this if anything i was we were i I said it on this very show like i want a free market in money yeah that is another market alternative for money and like maybe it's a corporatist version of it and not a government-backed version of it but at least it's 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 a version and here's the other thing it validates the concept of cryptocurrencies and, and and blockchain it just does yep and and to me, it was like, yes, this is important. But what it, you know, like they they wanted to help the unbanked, right? Now, if you read some of the art, uh, I've read a couple good Ars Technica articles, and like, eh, well, not necess- you're not necessarily going to do that or whatever. But then they were going to allow like very little vetting for people who provide wallets. At, you know, you know, you know, the wallet they were going to provide within the U.S., the Calibra or whatever, was going to be, you know, it was going to comply with all the banking regulations necessarily. But the platform was still opened for anyone to create any type of wallet, right? And like to me, that was like, well, that's a happy medium, right? It's not perfect from a cryptocurrency standpoint, but it would have moved us in the right direction. It would have helped the unbanked. It would have done all these things. These same politicians that asked that question about the unbanked and like you know make democratizing financial services are the same guys bringing up the same darn regulations that make it impossible anyway to do any sort of money anything in the united states or globally right like stupid anti-money laundering laws and stupid know your customer laws and stupid laws about well it might use terrorism might use it or this that and the other thing and it's just like well yeah I get these it. things you put in to protect us <laughs> Or what's making it impossible for people in certain parts of the world to get banking services. Yep. We in the United States do not understand that most banking services around the world charge people for keeping money in those bank accounts. And you know why they do it? It's because of the, it's because of the monetary and banking regulations of those countries who were, who, who were a part of Basel. Who are part of Basel II or whatever the uh, the uh, consortium is that dictates all the controls they have to have in place, and that by very by the very nature of trying to stop terrorism and trafficking and all this other dumb stuff, is what causes people not to be able to get access banking outside this country. Like free checking is something we just kind of take for granted in the United States, and like in the rest parts of the world, you don't get that. Right. And this allows this to happen. This. You know, all cryptocurrencies for the most part, right? But Facebook puts a pretty face on it for most people. They understand people, right? Because they study and mine people (laughs) as a platform, right? So they were in the best position to at least push this forward. But unfortunately, because they're the face of it, we're going to get skepticism from the right. And you're going to get skepticism from leftists to hate anything big. And we're not going to move forward with it. Well, and, and that you, is what's the more frustrating thing. <laughs> and you've got a federal government that doesn't want any more competition. Competition. Yeah, right. They're in the business of debasing and stealing our money. God forbid this other basket of currencies. Um, and like, I think, and I think one of the guys asked, like, why didn't you, uh, why didn't you start this in the U.S.? Why did you go to Switzerland and stuff like that? 
and then I think Naomi Brockwell had the excellent point. It's just like, well, maybe you should ask the question. The question should have been asked the other way around. Like, you know, like, or maybe the question that should have been asked was just like, well, why didn't you start it here? Well, maybe because, and one of the congressmen, a Republican, came up with a good point. He listed the alphabet soup of financial regulatory agencies here in the States at the federal level. Yep. It's nuts. And he was just like, it's it's like, dude, that's why they that's why they went to Switzerland. Right. <laughs> that's why this American company organized this consortium of corporations, chose a basket of currencies, and decided to headquarter the organization that will deal with it in Switzerland. And so no one asked that question. And and, and I mean, just to get on another side tangent before and before I explode even more, like it's kind of like the article I posted for like Dollar General, right? It's just like Dollar General's terrible. Uh, have you asked the people who utilize Dollar General if it's terrible? Yeah. So it's 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 it was so mind numbing, and it's so they're going to make Li- they're basically going to cripple Libra, right? Of course they are. Which, yeah. And 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 like maybe. Facebook was it wasn't going to be believed about its eventual de, de you know the roadmap had de, uh, eventual decentralization of the of the Libra blockchain and its its governance um, that moved it toward a Bitcoin Ethereum Litecoin basically toward a conventional cryptocurrency model, but that won't happen if they have to impl- implement all this nonsense that they were the Congress critters were complaining about um, on Capitol Hill. Um, and so that's why, you know, we're not going to probably get Facebook bucks anytime soon. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, anyway, so now for the dessert, now that we've, you know, um, beaten down those much more, uh, high level topics and much more serious topics is so Microsoft is killing off passwords finally. So, yeah, this is a, uh, uh, this was an interesting piece of news that I ran across. Interesting to me from a data security standpoint, um, and actually, you know, even a standards compliance standpoint. But um, in May, Microsoft rolled out their change silently, but nonetheless rolled it out, where periodic password changes are no longer the baseline uh, security settings. So what that means is by default, and I'm dumbing it down a little bit, of course, um, not because our listeners are dumb, but <laughs> uh, just to just to kind of simplify it a little. Anyway, the, the baseline security settings um, before were, okay, you will change your password every so often, every 60 days, 90 yeah. days, whatever. And this has been a generally accepted security standard for the obvious reason, if your password gets compromised, it's only going to be compromised until it expires, right? Yeah. That mindset, which has been around forever, um, has been shown to be really non-effective in, or incrementally effective in increasing security at, at least, right? So yeah. basically, if somebody steals... And, and and here's how, you know, with brute force, with computing power increasing exponentially in these graphic cards that we have now that are out there that are just insane, brute force attacks, if you get a list of hashes of security or of passwords, you can take those and you can brute force those things, 
you know, in a practical manner, within a practical thing. It used to be a billion years before you could solve it, right, to decrypt it. Mm-hmm. It ain't that way anymore. So we have to do something to better protect um, our data rather than just requiring people to um, change their passwords periodically. And what they've found, of course, is what everybody already knows is when you're asked to change your password, what do you do? You, you change it by one letter, right? Or one number. It's not a significant change. So what Mike? Yeah, the only way you can get around that is typically is if it's corporate, if it's forced down corporately, where they basically give you a set of passwords, right? Or, um, that you have to choose from, cor- and and they they generate it, and that and that changes every year, um, at least at least in the environment I work in. Like you, every year you have to choose from a basket of randomly generated passwords every year, and then that's what you use you're not really given the option to change your, you're not really given the option to change it by one letter or whatever, stuff like that. They're going to force you to change it wholesale. Right. That in and of itself basically causes the social engineering uh, phenomena of, I got to write that down. Of course, which of course, now you got post-its with passwords sticking all over the place. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, I mean, it goes back to what we're saying, you know, we're human, you know, I don't speak Mm -hmm. in, carrots and ampersands and asterisks i it doesn't make sense to me right so right uh, what can you do Uh, there's that but what's interesting to me so microsoft's basically come down and said this is stupid it's not helping it's actually hurting but we still have security standards you know the pci security standard the ei3pa security standards all these security standards which are based on best practices right are still going to dictate that we have these changes in place. So at a corporate level, you know, you have to put in your policies that say, okay, you will change your password every 60 days or whatever. So right. I don't see that side changing, but what what's hopeful to me is, you know, Microsoft's starting to go down this path of saying, look, we have to realize that this is obsolete. And we need to evolve past that. In addition to that, they are, uh, it's been reported, and I have to look up the, uh, the other article I read on this so I can put it in the show notes, but they're moving away from passwords entirely. So what Microsoft is doing is they're building in an engineered uh, two-factor authentication into your basic um, corporate network login or your even your basic laptop login what is that okay they're going to combine some form of biometrics with a pin and that is your login to that and it you know fingerprint login on phones we've had this forever you know i use it on my phone it works great it's a proven technology how hard is it to just say okay here's my thumbprint here's my pin go and you never have to change it it just sits there forever right I'm actually very excited about this because from an administrative standpoint, if we can get the standards changed, you know, in the security world to accept this new approach to basic login, we are going to see people much happier and much, there's going to be much less overhead to manage this going forward. So yeah, better security, less hassle, more it's more conducive to the human experience, I think. Um, 
Right. And it's going to allow us to, you know, not have to write down anything and stick it on a post-it, you know, and therefore compromise our security all over the place. Right. You don't have to store these hashes or these plain text passwords in a database that can be compromised. <laughs> right. right. It, it would just it, it would it would just be a hash of the representation of a thumbprint or your face. And then, you know, some some, you know, basically public key encryption thing like what like you have a you have a a pen. Yep. Or you have your thumb. And, you know, it just kind of it just kind of happens and, and we, we don't store these things. Well, it's going to take it's going to take your thumbprint and your pin, something you have, plus something, you know, you know, basic two factor mm-hmm. authentication. It's going to hash those together and it'll store mm-hmm. a representation of that in some database anywhere. And you can't decrypt that. I mean, yeah, it, you can decrypt it, but then how can you use it? Right. right. The person has to be <laughs> right, present. So. so I'm excited about it. I think this is really a a positive move. Unfortunately, I don't see it being adopted for a long time uh, just because yeah. we're, we're very slow to progress on security standards and things that, you know, well, it's, it's, wor- I think what'll, it's worked forever. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So why, why change it? Right. right. No, I think what'll happen is it'll be, it'll be a kind of a two pronged approach. It'll be, um, the regulatory compliance for how this stuff is stored will become very onerous and painful. And so when you ever have, and so at that point you have a pain point that like companies are going now willing to invest. And then you're just, you're really just going to have like, uh, I like the statement you came up with. Uh, security is evolving and getting more human and people are going to build these interfaces that are going to, these interfaces and these mechanisms that are going to better cater to how human beings act. And so there'll be a market. There'll be market pressure to do so as well. I hope so. And so I hope yeah, so. It, it, it it it'll it'll take a bit. I mean, I know Google had been trying to kind of devise this for a while, and I think they have some of that architecture in Android. But yeah, they wanted to get rid of passwords as well. Um, a lot of it too is cultural. Like people are people. It's kind of like this. Like people hate. Um, uh, let's get a good example. People hate walmart or people hate big corporate whatever but like they use them right and like when someone comes and says hey i'm gonna take this away from you and like let a machine oh i have a better example self-driving cars it's like everyone else hates everyone driving around them gee we need the machines to take this over but the moment you start bringing that technology out people get real antsy about it and stuff like that and i think the same thing will happen with passwords where it's just like well wait a minute you're taking away my password or Wait a minute. Think, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, you're right. That's a, new, that's a new paradigm, a new model. <laughs> well, how do you take how do you take a human that has been it's been drilled into their head? You know, your password is the god thing that you have yes. to know that yeah. accesses everything. And, and how do you take yeah. that that's been ingrained in them forever and say, look, it doesn't make sense anymore. It's you know, and, and that's where technology and humans kind of clash heads, right? Where all the time, all the time, right? People ask those questions about institutions, like what we just discussed, money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's hard to break people out of that paradigm that, hey, yeah, you're right, has been kind of drilled into their heads for most of their adult lives. And so, well, they don't, yeah, yeah they, I, um, they don't realize that, you know, especially the American dollar, right? It's not, I mean, it's not backed by anything. So, what is it? It's just an accepted yeah. value. Which is basically I what crypto very, is, right? Yeah. Like, I had a friend of mine asking me, like, 
well, what backs crypto? This is like nothing. The same thing that backs the same thing that backs the dollar. <laughs> like the government. This is like not really. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so yeah. You you it's 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 really so that's really going to be the hard part, right? I think from a technological standpoint. Well, here's the deal, right? Let's now now let's get all uh, let's get all next wave, right? So going forward in the future. Right, and I'm gonna get it back around to the password thing, man. But just follow me. I'm following. Follow me, ladies and gentlemen. What's going on here is I was so you, we've heard of um, and we've we've wowed about Google's like duplex service. So that's the one that they debuted like last year with the phone call to like the Chinese restaurant with the intelligent AI agent talking to him and making a appointment. Mm-hmm. And this year at Google I.O., they debuted a, the next version of that is basically like it goes to a website and just like does stuff for you. Right. Right. We're going to have a lot of intelligent agents, chat bots, ML bots, whatever you want to call them, doing a lot of tax tasks for us. Why not hand over that security model to that? And I think I, 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 and people aren't going to like that. Right. People, they're going to be incumbents involved. All right, I yep. think the, for killing passwords and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a billion dollar industry, you know, in, involved with like that type of data security. Um, you know, will they evolve in time? Will will corporate cultures change? Will all these things well, change? And even in the, in the in the case of micro of a Google Duplex, does do I then do I have to develop websites for people, or do I develop them for bots? Oh, good point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like I think, uh, would, uh, but the killing of the passwords and, and you know, and the Google duplex thing I just described, and even the even under underlying uh, undermining the paradigm of money, undermining the paradigm of driving yourself, people were going to be resistant to a lot of these changes because you you re- you remove a little bit of agency from a human being when like, you know, like because password you basically they're automating for lack of a better word, like the password process, so to speak, right? Like you, you don't have to remember it just, you, there's a piece of information, you know, it's easy, right? Which, you know, alpha, it's numeric and stuff like a pen in a pen in your thumb, a pen in your thumb, a pen in your thumb. I do it all the time. A pattern in your thumb, a pattern in your thumb. I mean, that's, and and that's people, it's going to take, oh, it, it isn't going to take long for people to do so. I think. I think we need to give them more credit. Like, I mean, we you you already gave us a demonstration. I mean, you already gave us an example, right? Like, I use my thumb to unlock my phone all the time. Yeah, it's easy, right? Uh, or, <laughs> or if it's super, or if it's super important, I use a thumb and a either a pattern, uh huh, a screen pattern or a pin, right? And so I think people will like the fact that it happens, but you will have some people. Boomers like yourself who will not like the fact that passwords <laughs> well, and, are going away. And, and not only not only boomers like myself, you know, as we joke about, but um, you know, within there are a lot of skepticals out there as well, and within organizations. Well, yeah. within organizations, yeah. but also within communities. I mean, within the liberty community, right? You have a lot of people that are going to be like, "Whoa, hold on a second, I'm I'm giving up what." for what and they're going to ask the question rightfully so i think everybody should ask the question and should understand how this thing is going to work i'm just i'm worried that it's going to be so technical that people are just going to go yeah i don't trust it (laughs) yeah no i mean a lot of that's going on in the ai world where they don't 
they're really becoming much more skeptical of like, well, what did this, what did this machine learning model do? Well, how did it come to that conclusion? And to a lot of researchers, they don't know, right? right. Because of what's going on inside these neural networks. Um, and so I read a, I read a very good article. I don't know if it was in O'Reilly or Medium about like, well, we a Wired. I think it was Wired. Um, about like, hey, we we need to develop like there's a market opportunity to develop audits for a lot of these processes, and it's not even AI processes either. Like, we need audits of uh, we need like data lineage. Like, how is this data created? What created it? Chain of custody for how that data mm-hmm. got from point A to point B. And yeah, like I think there's a bigger industry in trust systems or systems that verify trust in human beings. Uh huh. As much as I hate, as much as I hate human beings, but I mean, there's a market opportunity, and I think you're right about this. Like, you know, killing, you know, and this is just a broader. It's funny we we took killing off passwords, which is actually a positive thing, and we've kind of taken it and we've we've, we've drawn it out into this much more uh, cultural, social kind of like thing that's happening and it's just like people need to trust technology and they're trusting it less and less mm-hmm. and we need to create systems or companies need to create systems to that at least surface enough transparency to like so people can trust what's going on here in this instance like we're killing off passwords where we're one of the things we're going to need is we're going to need bio, biometric information as one of the factors right that would allow someone to log in it is it is not terribly unhealthy of a person to be skeptical of what happens to that data well look at what look at the new the the face app stuff that happened this last week right with the the concerns about oh russia is spying on us and whatnot no they, they weren't <laughs> <laughs> right that whole thing was so it's like oh, god <laughs> dog ah these school moms in the and I, I think privacy is just wielded as a club it is for 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 neophytes and luddites and 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 that's that's really what it is um, it's good to be skeptical, but you can, as Michael Malice say, you can take one red pill, but don't take the whole bottle. <laughs> right. right. I mean, it's, it's not, not everything is nefarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, be, yeah, be, be, ask the questions, you know, always ask the question, always push to get the answer. And, but when someone gives you an answer, at a certain point, then stop asking the question, right? Then it's just your skepticism, right? And and like that's fine. I don't mind it, right? A lot of a lot sure. of the things we discuss are skepticism of big, what big tech does, particularly when it comes to platforms and artificial intelligence and and in trying to police hate speech and stuff. Like, it's great to be skeptical of those things, but like at the end of the day, like like I like I am apt to say from time to time, like Facebook has done more good than harm. Yeah. Uh, Twitter has done more good than harm. Google, right? yeah, I mean, um, you name them, right? Google has done more good than harm. Microsoft, despite many people's, you know, uh, acqui- has done more good than harm. Big oil has done more good than yep. harm. Big banks have done more big than... I mean, the, the, the evil they have perpetrated, according to some, is greatly outweighed by the good they have facilitated. I agree. Or enabled. Yep. Um, and like, and it's funny too, right? People are actually now trusting Microsoft. In the enterprise again, um, and like Microsoft is innovating again, and it's doing all these things. And like just 15, 20 years ago, man, Microsoft was the devil. Yep. Right. And just big up, man, to like the turnaround for Microsoft. Right. 
And like they, they came up with their earnings today too. Like they're making a a a, a boatload of money from Azure. Even though you're um, even though uh, it's it's not the growth is not as high as it has been in the past. But they were also starting from zero. See, that's what I don't like about Wall Street analysts looking at stuff like, well, they're not growing nearly as fast as they grew from 2015, 2016. It's like, yeah, because the market didn't exist. They went from they went from like an also ran in cloud complete in, in cloud computing architecture to like an infrastructure, you know, as a service to like where they are now, where like now incremental growth looks smaller as a percentage of when they started. So like, don't. Yeah, it's apples and oranges. They've done, yeah, they, they've done miraculous things, man. And like. It's 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 cool, man. But I think I'm glad, man, that companies are starting to think about like new ways to do these security models, particularly big companies, right? That are have like a huge install base. Startups do this crap all the time, but it's good that Microsoft has kind of stepped into that game, man. It's real. It's real cool, bro. It's real cool. Love it. All right, man. Um, I don't know what else we want to discuss here before we get into the cryptocurrency minute. Like I had a lot of little mini stories down there that are in the show notes. I'll just kind of give a rundown of those and you guys can go back and review those yourselves. Um, Samsung's five nanometer ultra, what is it? EUV technology is pretty much ready to deploy. So basically what that means is we're going to get smaller chips going forward. And also like the equipment used to make seven nanometer and 10 nanometer kind of chips gets cheaper. So that helps a lot. Um, this one I, I kind of liked because I was doing a lot of deep dive analysis on this and that's Google debuting a deep learning container platform for their, um, for their kind of cloud services. So you can build basically these, uh, microservice containers that have deep learning kind of embedded in them. Um, kind of the dovetail in the story about the five nanometer stuff from Samsung, Qualcomm's new 20, uh, what is it? 215 CPU. Is debuting that, and it has a lot of like the cool smartphone features that you get in high-end phones now. Now that's being pushed down a little bit further. Um, so you know your mid-tier phones are going to continue to get better. Um, it's going to get less. It's going to be less and less a viable option to buy a fifteen hundred dollar phone when you can get you can wait a year, maybe two, and get that same performance for like an eighth of that. Um, I guess. Huawei, okay, so the U.S. will allow license sales to Huawei from some of the people um, here. Um, it'll remain on the blacklist in this entity list, but at least some of the companies here stateside can still sell to Huawei. Um, that's happening. And uh, AI auditing, I kind of went over. It's an excellent wire, uh, wire, Wired article. Um, it, we're, we're starting to really ask questions ethically about what AI means you know, when it's particularly when it's when we're applying AI in the broader sense to like stuff that impacts people. So that was kind of interesting. And one, of course, in my Sinophobia watch to dovetail on the uh, Huawei situation as a direct result of our kind of backwards immigration systems um, that embrace, you know, more of the poor and uneducated and are forcing away like very high quality Chinese candidates um, they're finding that they can just kind of go back to China and like build companies faster and quicker and stuff like that. Even, you know, even though, um, you know, they may be doing it for a totalitarian regime, at least they feel they can build new products and services in there. And so because of the Byzantine process of quotas and H-1B uh, visas and stuff like that, we're losing out on the brain drain. Like people are going back home mm-hmm. um, in a lot of instances. And, and that's kind of bad. But that those are, I, I, again, I'll, I'll have connections and stuff. So, Gary. Anything else? Uh, I'm just looking forward to uh, brewing some beer tomorrow. 
fine. I know it's been forever. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that's my. I'm big enjoying thing. my IPA. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, really? Cool. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, red. I'm going to do the basic red again, just to because I'm getting back yeah. into it, and uh, you know, I just want to make sure that I I still have it. <laughs> so. Yeah, you never lose it. It's like it's like riding a bike or cooking. Yeah, I'm enjoying my IPA, man. It's it's big. It's it's you know not it's a little multi. It's definitely has the bite. Um, the aroma is still there for now until it kind of fades out. But yeah, I'm definitely enjoying that. I think next weekend I'll probably move. I'll move into a bigger beer, and my annual hops picking expedition will start taking place here. I think I'm going to go up next week to check the progress of the hops. Exciting. And then. And then I'll probably uh, camp out up there in early in early August and uh, get some, and I'll definitely be making some of the my 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 uh, yearly and uh, award winning. Well, not really, just to me, um, Neo Mexicanas Pale Ale. So, well, anyway, that's making me thirsty. Um, <laughs> I got to run some errands for the rest of the day. This has been. Thank you for your servers. Thank you for logging in, ladies and gentlemen. Follow me at Nick Way on Twitter. And what is your... At Guthrie Gary. Still haven't changed it, but I, I'm working on it. At least your, your, your homework for the week is to change the avatar, man. Just change the Yes, avatar. teach. Just do that. <laughs> All right. So with, no, with that said and done, uh, see y'all next week. Next week.